Hello, everyone, and welcome back for the next episode of the Sports Pro Stream Time podcast. Not only is it the next episode, but it's the first episode that we're recording in the new year, 2023. I'm Chris Stone. I'm the community lead here at Sports Pro, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. Nick, it's the New Year's. Everyone does it, whether or not uh, people think it's cliche, the whole New Year, New Me. You know, do you have any New Year's resolutions you want to share with the, the audience? Well, I, I do have some. They're not particularly exciting, though, such as my my... <laughs> less than exciting uh, lifestyle these days but uh, one makes me sound like I'm about 70 plus years old and that is to sort out my hip yes that's that's basically to go get it checked out to understand why is it always so sore and to hopefully work out then find out what I can start doing to k- get myself active and up and running again so it's pretty lame it makes me sound 70 years old uh that's that's basically the main one everything like doing a dry january not interested <laughs> january is still yep. a really depressing month i need a few drinks every now and again to keep me keep me entertained my birthday's in the month other people i know's birthday's in the month i want to be want to be happy and enjoying myself so no dry january for me that's for sure yeah i mean i'm a bit similar you know sort of the the sort of health goals and all that i don't like running it's not for me uh but you know i have already signed up to a once a week basketball league so that way i'm still getting that Ooh. cardio getting back into fitness i would describe my game as a ray john rondo don't ask me to score any points but i do play <laughs> solid defense and i'm a good distributor of the basketball just don't ask me to be the one to uh make any baskets so it i'm looking forward to it it's been a few years since I've played basketball, but it's certainly better than the alternative of going and running a 5K. When I, a couple of years, a couple of seasons I played of basketball, I described myself as more of a, a Dennis Rodman, but without the haircut or crazy clothing, um, with a lot of fouls and without the, sh- and, but equal, the, the, the equivalent of the shooting and the rebounding. So that's all I had in my locker. So, hey. but not the lack of craziness. I didn't get married in Vegas. I didn't color my hair every other week. So I didn't quite live the same lifestyle, but more the gameplay. Well, this is what I've always said with team sports in particular. Know your strengths, know your weaknesses, and if you know you're bad, just stay out of the way of everybody else. So sometimes it's the people that are annoying are the ones that are bad but still think they've got game. If you're bad and you just stay out of the way, we can make it work. Yeah, I've had a few experiences of those over the years in various team sports, but I will not go into those here. Yeah, absolutely. So today we're going to follow up with something we did just prior to the new year, which was we did our power rankings and we did that on all of the rights holders. So we wanted to come back as promised and we wanted to basically finish up that list because just for some context that I previously discussed were Nick and I back in about August of 2022 sat down and put almost 90 different sports organizations up on a board and started categorizing them. And we realized one list was Not great because nothing was quite apples to apples and just having a list that big didn't quite work. So we split it out between the rights holders, which we've already covered. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, please go back and do it. This time around, we're going to go and cover the platforms, the networks and what they're doing. So just a reminder in terms of how we set up the four tiers, there's the love it list, the like it list, the mixed emotions list, and then the jury's out. Uh, Hopefully most of those tiers and those brackets are pretty self-explanatory and we don't need to go through those again, but those are really kind of where we're trying to put everybody at. We got quite a bit of engagement last time, Nick. Uh, We were brave enough to send that photo out there. So we're going to do it all again. Yeah, absolutely. Could you imagine if we did a podcast reviewing 90 different sports properties and broadcaster strategy god that'd be uh 
that'd be quite an, a podcast. We'd, we'd be probably going a, me, a week later or so. So I'm glad we didn't go with that concept. Um, but look, it, it's interesting when you do these types of exercises. You know, a couple of the ones we're going to talk about today, my take on them has already shifted uh, given a few of the more recent moves they have made. Um, but it's a fun exercise to play with. I have asked, have been asked over time about you know, what sort of data and insights we use. Look, this is pretty subjective. Um, this is, but this is also just taking into account our own lens on the approach. Um, and taking from, from my point of view, it's, it's where things are today, not hypotheticals if they're going to do things in the future, unless they've actually stated they are. Um, but yeah, look, this is a bit of fun. It's open to interpretation. It allows us to also talk through some of these strategies because sometimes, um, in the pods that we do do, we don't really have a chance to dig into each one of their strategies uh, in, with any great detail. So hopefully it gives a taster of how complex, I suppose, and how nuanced this, this industry is because it is interesting to see that not many not many organizations in this space really do have the same approach um, to sports uh, and live sports. Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head, which is, you know, with power rankings, typically they change every week or whatever it is. We're only doing this once a year, but seemingly within, you know, the the month that we've done this, there's already been a pretty major breaking news story that you already had YouTube in the love list. I then my jury's out list, and I'm kind of wishing now I didn't, but because that was sort of the way we started, I'm not going to update my image. I'm going to take it for what it is and just explain to people. But since the time we did those initial power rankings, They've now finally, maybe to some surprise, maybe not, depending on which news sources you had, have agreed with the NFL to take over the NFL Sunday ticket package that had previously existed with DirecTV, which for some people that, that aren't aware, DirecTV is a satellite TV service. So it's actually not that accessible unless you buy the rest of the DirecTV package to be a part of your you know, subscription, whereas YouTube TV is already one of the more popular platforms for people to sort of cord cut. And what the NFL Sunday ticket allows fans to be able to do is to have access to every single out-of-market game for the NFL. So for those that aren't aware, in the NFL, typically most games are covered free to air on Sunday. But the rules are, if you are the home team and you do not sell out your stadium for that week, the game is blacked out and you can't watch it anywhere. So NFL Sunday ticket won't necessarily impact that at all. But if you do have your game sell out, you get to watch your local team, but you won't necessarily have access to all the other games that are taking place around the country. So pretty much what this is, is it's allowing the marketplace to be able to watch pretty much any football game that's out of market now on a streaming platform platform with YouTube TV. So originally, Nick, I had YouTube TV and my jury's out because I love what they do. I, I tweeted over the weekend that probably 90% of the non-live sports content I watch is on YouTube's platform. Like that's where I, I pretty much consume everything. So I'm on YouTube a lot, but I just didn't know what the future was or if they had something they could really put their stamp down on like they now have with NFL Sunday Ticket. You know, you already had YouTube in your love list. So maybe it's, you could say why they were already there to begin with and then maybe talk a little bit how the NFL deal now impacts that. Yeah, for sure. Look, look, my my main approach, or the reason I love what YouTube is, has done, it's a bit like this journey we've been on with other social media platforms, with understanding their role in the sports landscape. They realised a long time ago they didn't need to be investing heavily into live sports to really be an incredibly important platform to nurture the sports fans. Uh, sport fans major major interest which is which is live sports non-live sports highlights everything to do with the, around the whole game right that youtube is the home for everything that is non-live so 
it's a pretty good place to be when and i think about the fandom that i have for certain sports a lot of the way i consume um, my sports is through non-live is through youtube or through owned and operated ott platforms as well but it's there's not as much live as people probably would think you know with with life these days with people having different challenges the time zones that the us um obviously has a different to a lot of other markets um you can't always watch live live sport and live platform and live product uh, so YouTube provides an incredible base for all of that, that, that relationship with the fans. And because it had, I guess, d- understood that and doubled down on that um, and with the, 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 the development of shorts coming into place, it really, and it, you look at all the other metrics from a general consumption standpoint that, that YouTube has, it's just winning the battle for people's attention. It's winning the battle for advertising dollars. It's winning almost every battle you could think of with regards to media social etc so that's why i loved it they they really knew their place and they were dominating now this new deal with youtube and and youtube tv is a really fascinating one um and it doesn't necessarily impact my ratings of them positively or negatively and the reason for that is i can't can't quite get my head around what the longer term strategy for this movie is. They have YouTube TV, uh, which is a virtual MVPD, which is you know effectively a, a single desti- destination someone could subscribe to, uh, a cable replacement service, you, I guess you would want to call it, um, where you can go and sign up to YouTube TV and get access to all these different channels, um, to, which, are, you know, which makes sense to fit into that mix. It becomes an added incentive to become a YouTube TV subscriber although you will have to pay more for it. And for those that aren't familiar with YouTube TV, we've talked about Fubo TV a lot. I really can't say that. It's really hard to say virtual VMVPD. So I can see the benefit for it. Now, what the question I think on everyone's lips, including mine is, you know, what what are they trying to do with it? Is it to drive audiences? Is it to, to generate revenue directly to pay the bills on this? You know, for context, DirecTV never generated more than 2 million subscribers um, on their on their Sunday ticket product. Uh, and in this instance, it looks like the numbers work out. They're about 2 billion, I think, uh, was what they pay, paid per, is it, per year. Is it per season, right? Yeah. So they would need to roughly do 4.5 million subscriptions to pay for this new Sunday ticket product, which would be more than double the peak of DirecTV. Now, at, by the end of this, it could be doable. You think about how much easier it is to access streaming subscriptions than it is to to buy a satellite and set a satellite up like with DirecTV. That definitely fits and plays 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 a pretty a potential role. Uh, I also like the fact that they've carved out a little interesting niche here. You know, the NFL was very protective on its copyright um, of the live um, the live highlights or the sorry the the near live highlights and what they're going to be allowing if I understood the details correctly is they're going to allow people on YouTube to create YouTube shorts or highlights and clips of the games on the platform rights without the rights issues that they might have otherwise. So it will allow YouTube to foster a bigger community of people consuming NFL content on their platform versus, say, going to some of the other social media platforms, whether it be TikTok and Twitter and so forth. So that's quite an interesting piece to this because it will allow, I guess, it's just the ecosystem on YouTube to build further of NFL uh, live and highlight consumption um, by having this sort of extra layer mixed into it. So um, I think I like it. Uh, it's a bit more complex when you think about 
where it's taking airtime from in terms of that DirecTV impact. Uh, but like, you know, they've got the money to spend here and take a punt and it could have a huge upside if they get it right. Yeah, well, I, I'm excited for it. I think it's a very interesting deal. I think, you know, I've already heard people, you know, talking about, you know, if you've ever watched NFL Red Zone, they do the Octobox. They already talked about YouTube as a streaming platform just with its capabilities. You know, could that be something you could customize, you know, through the YouTube platform as opposed to just kind of what Red Zone's offered and just sort of the interactivity that, you know, YouTube has as a streaming platform. I think there's definitely there's a lot to be seen what they could potentially do with this down the road. And I think it is worth mentioning. I can't remember if you mentioned you still have to pay for a separate subscription for this. So it's still YouTube TV. You still have to pay an additional subscription um, for the NFL Sunday ticket. So it's not as if they, they come together. But the difference really is that anyone basically, as long as you have an Internet provider, can access YouTube TV. Whereas, you know, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, my parents live a quarter of a mile off the main strip and to get cable or to get, it was going to cost them $10,000. Whereas we can at least just get our internet sorted out. So it's just, you know, depending on where you live, America's a big place, pretty rural. Um, it can be a little bit more accessible for folks. Yeah, definitely. So look, YouTube, I'm really fascinated to see where YouTube TV goes. You know, they were sponsoring a number of sports events. I think they did the NBA finals, if I remember correctly, um, a couple of years ago. Um, so they have been playing and dabbling in this space, but not investing heavy onto premium sports rights themselves because they're carrying a lot of the networks that might have their content uh, available on the platform. So this is a big step for them. Uh, it does sit within their platform. So it's not just like you're going to log on to YouTube and be able to watch it now. So I think that's important to denote for those that don't understand that you know, this isn't just freely available now. You can watch any any NFL match. You still have to subscribe through their their premium proposition that you've, you've outlined. And for those outside of the US, you won't have access to that platform. Um, it's only going to be US focused. But the numbers are so crazy here, we can't not talk about it. Yeah, of course. So it, in the love list, you and I both have Sky. Um, I think you and I have talked quite a bit about Sky Sports. And I think the thing we really love about them is the fact that they're the aggregator of sports, at least here in the UK. And it's one of those things that many platforms, even if they don't necessarily have the exclusive rights for it, you will still go through the Sky you know, package to actually access those rights. So even though you might not be using it, you're kind of always um, on there. And then they also have premium rights like Formula One, the Premier League, you know, they, they've got just a little bit of everything. So I don't know if there's anything else you particularly wanted to shout out about them because I was going to go into ESPN Plus next. I would just add you to add a bit more context to what you talked about. Now, what Sky has done an incredible job of is kind of ring fence themselves or protect themselves from any and, you know, competitors coming into the market and taking market share from them, particularly from the UK lens. You know, the BT Sport came into the market, caused huge disruption. They were very, uh, they were, let's say, basically, basically enemies fighting for, for market share. And what they were to do is they sort of bridged that gap over time and created a, a, a a dual deal, a share deal where they car they carried each other's respective platforms, and that really took all the air out of the industry and out of the sort of the the, the dynamic between those two providers. And since then, because they become this, they built this destination for people to come to. I don't really see how anyone comes into the the market here and doesn't pay incredible incredible overs um, on sports rights to to be able to knock the sky off its perch. So I think they're just here to stay, and they've done a great job of both holding on the rights that matter, creating these destination channels that they have with golf and F1 and, and Premier League and so forth. Um, they're investing into the WSL, the Women's um, Super League over here uh, in the UK. So there's hard, there's hard 
it's hard to fault them in, in any way, shape, or form. So fair play to them. They uh, dominate the market, and they are one of the biggest investors into sports, as, and, and it's a, a win-win, I think, for most. Yeah. So what I'm curious to know now is, like I said, I've got ESPN Plus and my love list. You've got them in your like list. For me, when it comes to the reason I love ESPN Plus is it's hard to find a sport or a sport right they don't necessarily have rights to. That's not always exclusive, you know. So, for example, the SEC, um, you know, the biggest college football league in America, they've got exclusive rights to, but then they've only got, you know, certain packages with the NFL or Major League Baseball or, you know, just this whole list of sports that they cover, their package, their partnership with UFC. It's very hard to find anyone in the world that has a, I guess you could say, a larger scale of sports properties than they do. And the price point for ESPN Plus is just so ridiculously low. And maybe that's the problem is I'm looking at this as a as a consumer to sit here and be like, can I actually get more for my money than what ESPN Plus offers? And, you know, we didn't want to necessarily get into all the the shoulder program and, and everything else, but you can't ignore the fact that, you know, there's still the other packages where you can access ESPN Plus via, you know, Disney and bundling up without Hulu. Like there's ways to, to expand that if you did want more than sports. And, you know, I know there's been talk around the fact that, yeah, this is really great, but subscriber numbers are sort of plateauing. They're still not making money. So is that perhaps, Nick, where even though I've got them in my love list, maybe I'm a bit consumer focused, whereas you and that like list, you're still trying to figure out maybe if the business model works itself out? I really had to remember why I put them in my like list versus my love list when you started talking. Um, I think there were two things that came to mind that I didn't like, which brought them away from my love list because there's a lot I do I think when we talked about this, you looked at it more as the ESPN Plus strategy specifically, and I think I was looking at it more of the Disney strategy as as a whole. Um, what I thought was that ESPN was was charging too little for ESPN Plus, uh, which sounds like something simple, but um, I, 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 you know, I just think they, they could be charging more for their, their product and becoming more creative perhaps to how they sell the packages. Because one of the things when I talked to Russell Wolf about this, um, they were talking about the value of, say, their niche rights being just as important as their their non uh, niche rights to in terms of enticing an audience to subscribe. Yet they just have a one size fits all subscription strategy, and I just don't think I feel like there's there's more opportunity there to be a bit more crafty with how they splice and dice their rights. Uh, so that was one thing, and the other thing is it really grinds my gears that ESPN Plus um, is you know you, you can subscribe to ESPN Plus in the UK. But all you get is some of the content they have available on their platform and you don't get access to all the great content. So I've got to pay the same price as a US subscriber, but they get all the online OTT content and I'm stuck with just the, the written stuff. And if I didn't know I was missing out, I probably would be happy to pay the premium for ESPN Plus because their stuff's pretty good. But now that I know I'm missing out on all this extra content, it really annoys me that I can't access it. So they're actually quite petty if I think about it now. But uh, <laughs> but actually, well, things things I do really love about them, I love the fact that they were one of the first movies in this kind of splice and dice approaches in terms of they would buy rights and pay a premium for them and then decide, you know, what are we going to put on ABC? What are we going to put on ESPN's linear content channels? And what are we going to put on ESPN Plus? And it allows them the flexibility to just ride the wave of this streaming uh, revolution we're going through. And shift the weighting accordingly to have pushing more and more through to platforms like ESPN plus, which everyone has agreed is, is their future. And inevitably they will have ESPN, ESPN's linear channels available, most likely through ESPN plus or alike in the near future. So I probably love a lot more than I like, but 
maybe I was in a bad mood when I just tried to log on to ESPN Plus at the time and or, and realized I couldn't access anything because of the, the the paywall. Now, I mentioned it the first time we did the power rankings. I forgot to leave it off as part of the context that you need to know is that Nick and I made these lists separately. So it's not uh, as if we we saw each other's lists and we tried to, to pick each other apart and try to make interesting things. This is just stuff that that happened organically. So, you know, we talked about ESPN Plus was a my love list. It's in your like list. We were actually the other way around when it came to Peacock. I've got Peacock in my like list. You have them in your love list. And I actually originally had Peacock in my love list. Um, one of the things I appreciate about them is the multiple ways to get into the platform. There's the, They've got the premium offering with no ads, and they've got the ad-supported models. So there's ways for different audience members to get in there and, and enjoy the content there. And then you know, even though they've got things like with the Big Ten, for me, the fact that they've got exclusive Premier League rights is just so massive in the U.S. market. And this is just me being anecdotal, knowing my friends, you know, soccer is growing. Uh, I'm not sure MLS is growing, but the Premier League is absolutely growing. I think having exclusivity to that is massive. It was just difficult for me because the reasons I liked Peacock were the same reasons I liked Paramount+. Plus. But I wasn't quite willing to put Paramount Plus into my love it list. So I felt like I had to be consistent across that. But, you know, is there anything in particular for you that's got Peacock in that love list? Well, again, not biased, but because I've had Rick Cordella and John Miller on the podcast. Um, but no, I have loved their approach. And because they have a really nice balance with premium, high quality premium live sports rights and incredible array of content that's non-sport as well. So you're able to get two bites of the cherry serving audiences if you get people who aren't that interested in sport peacock's still of great value if people love sports peacock is great value um, and i think that's a, it's a nice dynamic and they've been able to do some pretty great creative deals um the, the premier league investment is you know pr a pretty impressive one that they have taken and it seems to have paid dividends and they've been invested into the premier league's growth for, for many many years and it's paid off for the premier league it's paid off for them and everyone seems to be happy with that arrangement um but equally the fact that they were able to do a deal with the mlb um, to create a special slot for for mlb uh, matches so nbc could buy the rights to that because it was basically their other stuff was clashing with other rights they had and they weren't willing to put money on the table for it. So they were able to get crafty with, with, uh, with people like the MLB to find a time slot, then they could, then they would continue to invest into the MLB as a product. So I just like the, the way they've been able to work with some of their partners to provide huge value. And I think the, I actually think the premier league NBC relationship is probably one of the most it's probably a bit under talked about uh, overall, but it's probably one of the most successful relationships of the past decade in terms of broadcast partner and and sports property. If you think about it across the wider industry, the growth that it's had, the impact it's had in in a market like the like the US, which is just such an exciting proposition for the Premier League. If Premier League had partnered up with some of the, some of the other major broadcasters, I actually don't think they would have had anywhere near the growth. Like it was, it's that instrumental that they worked with the NBC, uh, and now it's a win-win because they are helping each other out. And the Premier League product and that three PM kickoff, uh, whatever time it is in in the US, depending on what time zone, is such an essential. It's such a great framework for streaming. Um, it's 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 purpose built for it, basically, right? Um, so it just fits really well into what they're trying to do with Peacock as a whole as well. 
Well, let me tell you, it's perfect um, whether it's a Saturday or a Sunday, because Saturday you get to watch the noon game at 7 a.m. Uh, the next games kick off at 10 a.m., and then that leads you into noon, which is when college football kicks off. Or, you know, on Sunday, it's the Premier League leading you directly into the NFL. So, you know, we've talked about how difficult it is maybe for a market like Australia where the time zones are so difficult. Or, you know, when you're speaking to Ralph Rivera at the NBA talking about games on the West Coast will never be seen live. The Premier League's not too early for, you know, those Eastern and Central markets. And I can tell you right now, we uh, we end up uh, having a few uh, drinks and, you know, 16 hours of sports. It's it's a pretty great day. Yeah, I was pretty impressed. Um, it's one of the my first experiences going over to the U.S. for a couple of conf- conferences, basically, in the industry. And uh, I went with one of my colleagues to one of the, like, Premier League, or I think it was an Arsenal bar, at the time Boo. and <laughs> and um i was just amazed at this whole like world that they they're up at like i can't remember it must have been a five hour time difference so, it must have been a seven. 9 a.m or a 7 a.m kickoff at the time and they're all everyone's drinking beers and then getting the day started and that just is the beginning right you have you flow onto the college you flow onto everything else it's a it's a real marathon so uh you've got to have some stamina if you're a sports fan in the u.s that is for sure or as all the the Brits like to say, we just drink piss water for beer. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe maybe <laughs> maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I played the fifth. <laughs> so with with the love of list, you know, I was probably a little bit more cautious in my list. I put several properties down into my jury's out list. Just wasn't quite ready to make a decision. But two of the people I have in my jury's out list, you have in your love list. And the first one I'll start with is Netflix. And you know, admittedly, Netflix is not necessarily a sports platform at the moment you know they they've got things like drive to survive or the the great uh the michael jordan series the last dance so they've got sports content on there but they're obviously not doing anything not just sports related anything period um that's live streaming really but you still have them in the love list and maybe it's it's worth giving people context how they fit into that love list yeah sure the reason i love what netflix has done to date I should clarify it's to date is because they haven't invested into live sports and I don't think them as a as a destination as a a video on demand proposition live sports just plugs in magically into what Netflix is doing you know they have been they built an incredible platform incredible audience not focusing on live now what live sports could do is help them reach a new sort of set of audiences they can't but they have to be paying a huge premium uh, not only on sports rights but on, a, on a, a, most of the, the audience they would be targeting in that approach are probably already subscribers to Netflix. So again, you could look at charging a, a premium on top of that subscription product, but I just can't see why adding a live proposition into their platform makes much financial sense unless they're really willing to go all in. So one of the suggestions or thoughts or has been going around the industry is the concept of Netflix perhaps buying um, a major player. So uh, let's say a DAZN would be a great fit because they have a, a bevy of deals already in place. You could plug in the the tech infrastructure and get up and running very, very quickly with a, a, a pretty decent set of live rights, although none, uh, none that you would call pre- premium tier, particularly in markets like the US. Um, so that is a way they could get up and running. But the fact they haven't made those moves, I'm very happy with and comfortable from their lens. As someone who works in the industry, I would love to see Netflix becoming a big investor and player in this space, but I just can't see the real business benefit of doing it, uh, particularly 
buying, you know, the F1 rights, which they're rumored to do, or maybe the NFL rights here and there. I just don't think that adds enough to their whole proposition. Well, I'm just going to be biased and say before they buy live sports, they can just greenlight series two of TV shows that I like because I'm tired of watching a series of a show and then it ends on a cliffhanger and they're like, nope, we're not going to renew it. I'm like, well, great. <laughs> yeah, I I, um, I mean, I probably use Netflix out of all the all the mainstream platforms uh, more than any. It's it's really good. It's pretty simple, right? It's lean and clean and uh, it gives you everything you need. I, I think the whole notion of adding a live proposition into it just creates another layer. Like we've even talked about some of the challenges that other platforms have with surfacing um, different types of sports content, live sports, et cetera. And Netflix would face the same because it's not built from sports first. It's building, it's sports isn't the be all and end all for everyone in the industry. And for those that have a subscription, a lot of them probably already have a subscription to sports somewhere else. So why does it really add much more value for them to, to start shifting everything across to that platform. I'm not, I'm not so sure. So one, the last one that we've kind of got where it'll, it'll finish out your love list. I had them in the juries out and we're going to talk about Apple. Now, the reason I had Apple in my juries out is although you said at the top, you know, you weren't being speculative. You're just looking at where we're at today. I was being a little bit speculative because at the time we did this, Apple was rumored to be the front runner and whether that was just, you know, creating artificial competition to drive other negotiations. Who knows if, you know, how serious that was. But for me, it was, I really wanted to see what happened with that NFL deal because when we talked about the MLS deal in our uh, rights holders discussion, I only thought it was a, an okay deal for the MLS because it's only $250 million a season, which isn't really quite that much when I talked about how much it actually is to buy an expansion team. Whereas I thought for Apple, it could be a really great deal because say 2026 is the catalyst for soccer that people want it to be. The MLS will certainly be a part of that, given how many of the U.S. national men's players are also associated with that, that in 10 years' time, that $250 million a year could look like an absolute bargain. Um, I also believe there's some opportunity for them to get out of that deal pretty early if it, if it doesn't work out their way. Um, and they're also not covering any of the production costs. That's all been pushed over to the MLS to handle. So I actually really like the MLS deal for them. I just don't know if it's it's enough for me to, to go any further than juries out because I'm just – I wanted to see the NFL thing sort of fall through, but I'm just not sure – where what's next for him. So I'm actually kind of happy. I'm still in that jury's out. You had him in the love list. Now, again, we didn't know the NFL deal was going to happen. You know, does that impact anything for you at all? Or perhaps, you know, why were they in that love list to begin with? Yeah. The, the hard part with, with what we're seeing from outside in with Apple is we don't quite know what they are trying to do yet. Um, we did, uh, I, I wrote, I love, I've talked about it on this pod. I loved what the the Apple and MLS deal was for Apple's perspective. The jury is out uh, from my view on the MLS. I think I put juries out. Let's say it is. Oh, actually, I didn't put anything for juries out, but I thought I like, I didn't love it. That's right. Um, because we don't know what Apple, how much resource Apple is going to bring to the table uh, and how much, um, yeah, how much resource, how much energy, how much money they're going to invest into it outside of the traditional uh, means that they've, they've amped out to do. So from Apple's perspective, it feels like a bit of a no-brainer deal. Now there's there's plenty of rumors flying around. I think it might even be uh, announced that you know Messi's going over to the MLS, um, and this could just be one of the, the next wave of um, major football stars who start coming over to that market in a number of years. And remember, this Apple and MLS deal is a global one, 
So it allows Apple to have actually a sports property that has upside, which if it starts getting a bit of momentum, could be selling and getting consumed all over the world in this new arrangement. That's a very exciting proposition if it starts to fly with a pretty minimal risk for them on, on, on investment. Um, and a great branding opportunity. You know, they're putting their logo and brand on all of the MLS kit and out um, and um, jerseys. Well, player shirts. What do you call those? God, that's and jerseys. Yeah. Jerseys. Yeah, we'll go with jerseys. So I, I really like this move. Actually, I love this move for, from Apple's perspective because they've got a pretty cool opportunity to, to play with and to see if they can make it work for them. But yeah, what now that this deal's been announced or and the Apple haven't won uh, the Sunday ticket, I do now wonder what is next for them. Uh, I probably would put them almost in the juries out now because uh, if I was to change it, perhaps just because I really can't. I think they have they had to get something like the NFL uh, on top of that. Maybe the NBA is their their last chance. The the rumors were that this NFL deal fell through because they wanted to put some clauses in there about future tech. Uh, they gave them extra rights to things that maybe doesn't don't even exist yet because they're obviously working on a lot of AR-related hardware and technology that may play a role in consumption in the future. Uh, I'm not sure how much uh, how true that is or not, but they didn't win them. And now all they've got is the MLS um, and, and sorry, some MLB rights as well, which aren't of huge scale. So yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure where this leaves Apple other than um, I guess they're going to be pretty going pretty hard for the, for the NBA. And if they don't and they just stuck with the MLS, I don't know what that means for the MLS, but I wouldn't be too excited about that, to be honest. Yeah, I, and I think the interesting bit in the jury's out is... I meant to mention when we were talking about YouTube, but our technology editor, Steve McCaskill, sort of wrote down his, his top three items to take away from the, the YouTube deal with the NFL Sunday ticket. But he did mention Apple as well, and he discussed what you mentioned, Nick, which is although this deal has gone, it doesn't necessarily mean the Apple and NFL deal is necessarily dead. They're still talking about, I don't I think it's referred to as non-traditional rights, but it's referring to potentially somewhere down the road could it be ar technology could it be a metaverse that there's actually a way the nfl could further monetize its content and if apple continues to develop technology there that deal might be worth more than whatever apple is offering today so it probably still isn't going to come up by the time we redo this list in 11 months time but steve would or at least he's trying to be bold try to get his name out there before everybody else so he can circle and say he was right he's not convinced the deal is dead in the water i believe the expression is yeah, you know, that'd be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I, one thing that just came to mind when you were talking about that is we did see Genius Sports do that data deal with the NFL and in that there was some streaming rights wrapped in there, allowing them to sell some of the rights to a betting partner. Who knows? Maybe they could tap into the, some of those if they wanted to dip their toe into the NFL space. I'm not, I'm not too sure, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah. So moving into the like list, there's two that you and I both agreed with. One of them was Discovery and then the other was Viaplay. Unless there's anything you want to add, I'm not going to say too much on Discovery because we've recently had Andrew Giorgio on the podcast. He spoke to the OTT Summit. We've co covered that merger between Warner Brothers and BT Sport at length. But I thought what would be more interesting perhaps is, you know, they are some we have talked about, but maybe worth giving Viaplay a little bit of airtime because I think unlike everybody else on this list, you know, what they would probably describe as their home markets 
aren't the US, aren't the UK, these big global sort of marketplaces we look at. But we are really big fans of the strategy that they do have. And they are trying to dip their toes into places like the UK. You know, like I said, if you want to talk a little bit why you've got Discovery in the like list, you can. We've just talked about them a bit, you know, across the podcast, but really just kind of a bit more about Viaplay given. I guess you'd say maybe they stand out a little bit more than the others, just given where their their whole markets are. Well, yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about Discovery because because uh, <laughs> they have made some moves since we had even Andrew on the podcast, and that was that they um, we didn't announce in that that they had pulled the the rug under uh, from underneath the Golf TV relationship with PJ Tour, uh, and now since then they've basically announced a complete restructure of that PJ Tour relationship basically to become a pretty traditional broadcast partner with them versus what they used to have, which was a a pretty comprehensive rights agreement where the Discovery owned the global rights, the non-US rights, and they could sub-license those to broadcasters. So for me, um, that move is what put them down into my live list, like list um, at the time was the the, the closing down of the Golf TV product. I don't think this, this shift with PJ Tour changes much from my point of view. Um, it actually makes a fair bit of sense for all for all parties. Um, you know, the PJ Tour has now allows them to take back ownership of that relationship with the broadcasters uh, that they were doing partnerships with, rather than sitting with Discovery. And so Discovery was kind of acting as a middleman with other broadcasters versus that directly with the rights owner, which was a funny mix to begin with. And now, because of the, the changing landscape. Now PJ Tour has uh, that back in control again. Um, so my only real comment there is just to emphasize that the reason they're not on my love list is I would have loved to have seen them continue with Golf TV as a, as a product and platform. And I just generally I'd like to see single sports platforms like that really be successful because I think they have huge amount of value to those top tier fans that are really passionate and want something as, as a destination, as a home for their sports. Unfortunately, the expectations or the, the goals that needed to pay the bills on that deal weren't marrying up well enough. And that's why that deal sort of fell through. So that's why uh, I did, you know, I think discovery is in an, in an okay position. Um, I would like to see them continue to invest into it if, if they could. Now, Viaplay. Um, so Viaplay, I, I do like their approach because they are very much building from, so let's say the bottom up in a lot of instances, particularly in the UK market, which I think is really the only avenue for the reasons we've talked about around Sky. You know, Sky being such a dominant force, there's no way uh, a good operator like Viaplay would just come in and blow everyone out of the water with a, a huge Premier League rights acquisition in the next cycle, unless they were pretty comfortable that they had the base in in that market to to take that step. So they're building from a a number of different sets of rights. Initially, they launched with some European sort of centric rights. Then they've acquired some national team rights, not England but the other other UK nations. Uh, and they're building they're building a nice nice little little business. Like when I say a little, I don't know how big it is. They did acquire. I think it was Premier Sports, and it gave them just a nice way to get moving and up and running pretty quickly. And Premier Sports also has a fast pl- platform. I don't know if that's still running or not, but they have this. It's not. It's a. I kind of. I'm actually reflecting on this with my wife when I was in in Sweden a little bit. Like, I feel like the the Swedes and the Scandies like to do the little things well, and the sum of all parts makes something really impressive. The Americans are all about the home run swing. Big go home or um, you know go go long or go home basically, and I feel like that's the sort of the model they're they're doing this sum of all parts, lots of little moves which help them keep raising up the bar of quality across their their strategy. 
Whereas, say, some big US players are coming into the market, like a Discovery, they're probably going to go for a home run swing at some stage, whether it's an acquisition of a BT Sport or, or a like. So not sure that metaphor fits, but it kind of feels appropriate in this situation. Yeah, no. Well, it's 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 a very interesting business model. And I think for, you know, we talked about them building from the ground up in the UK, it's worth mentioning in their home markets and, you know, the Scandinavian region, they do have all the big rights, the the Premier League, Champions League, NFL. So it's not as if they don't have premier rights. It's just more of which markets those are in. So it's almost like you don't want to downplay what yeah. they're doing. It's just it's very impressive about how they're almost doing it on an individual market by market basis. That, that's well said. I think it is a very pragmatic market by market approach. Uh, and that's really to be respected because I think they have really done a market by market where some other businesses that may have done so have been pretty obvious in their approach uh, or pretty limited in their array of rights they might bring into the market. Whereas here they've been bringing a bit of different pieces of the puzzle to, to build out things that really fit sit well within their brand. So there's a lot to like with Viplay. I really do hope they find a way to take the next step in the UK as, an, as a marketplace in particular, but equally just across Europe because they could become, they could really shift up a notch into sort of market market position if they um, if these moves pay off. So we'll move into our our combination of mixed emotions and our last of my juries out list. But the one that, that we haven't mentioned yet is Amazon. Now, I personally have them in my juries out list. And the, the reason I have that is I'm still similar to what you were mentioning with Apple, trying to figure out what the play is long term. You know, the, the Thursday night package with the NFL seems like a more long term play. Whereas what it felt like some of the other previous moves they did, whether it be sort of the Premier League around Christmas and Boxing Day, were more strategic in terms of how do we get people to sign up for Amazon Prime as opposed to necessarily we are trying to build out an actual sports platform. So for me, I had them in that jury's out because I'm still not quite sure if if their intention is to ever be a massive sports player, if it's just about driving subs to their, their overall package, whether or not that matters, I don't think it does, you know, because we're talking about just to be like the strategy, you know, for example, you love Netflix because they're not doing anything in sports. I'm just a little bit juries out with Amazon because I'm not sure how serious they necessarily are about it as much as how can they use sports as a lever to drive people into their other parts of their business. You, you on the other hand, have them a little bit, I guess, a more firm take in your, your mixed emotions list. So it, it, I think you and I are probably actually both mixed emotions. It's just a matter of how we, we categorize them. So maybe, maybe it's your turn to give it a, the, the wheel of spin on sort of how you'd like to describe your views on Amazon. Yeah, well, well with, with Amazon, there is a lot that I've loved over the, over the years of what they've done. I'm just not sure how successful it's actually been in sort of the expectations, perhaps the market, or even their own expectations on how sports rights would impact their business. However, one of the, and two of the other reasons that I haven't haven't liked what they've done is they didn't have that sort of layer of storytelling and and content that was accessible to tell the stories of their sports partners. It was just the live sports acquisition and nothing else. And even things like the e-commerce aspects we were kind of expecting to be prevalent and available through the Amazon's live product hasn't really come through. I haven't really seen any of the examples where Amazon's blown us away because I think from what I've heard across the wider industry, e-commerce is still actually really difficult through video. Uh, and if Amazon aren't doing it, then no one else can do it really well is, is my view there. However, what they have done is they now made two pretty critical moves, again, about areas that I've talked a lot about. 
and that is the non-live side. And one is they're looking to create a series of daily shows and shoulder content programming in the US to start telling those stories, to start creating an audience that comes to the platform day to day, rather than just for those occasional live live sporting moments. And they're looking to create, the raw ports are, they're looking to create a live, uh, sorry, a sports app, which should no doubt include that content as well as live sports and create a more dedicated destination for sports fans to come to to consume content on prime video that those two moves now really make a difference in my view to everything that they're trying to do with their live sports product again if you look at what netflix has done one of the reasons i like what they did is they didn't try and blend the live sports with the on demand and i think that was a smart move for a lot of instances amazon have and i'm just not sure how well that's worked they, I no doubt, would argue it's been a, a big success. They've generated pretty significant audiences, nearly 10 million, you know, 10 million viewers to their Thursday night football, which is way down from what it used to be, but they're only at the starting point of their journey. And I think most experts would think that's a pretty decent number uh, prior to the season kicking off. This dedicated platform, this additional layer of storytelling and content that they're looking to create daily shows, I think is such an important move for them and will really allow them to sort of win some of these rights deals that perhaps they couldn't because they didn't have that layer to offer. The example we've talked about before was the reports around F1 and ESPN uh, winning that deal, despite Amazon maybe offering more of a premium on, on that arrangement. So I would say now I these things aren't yet delivered. They're, they have announced the daily shows. The reports are that the, the sports app will come. Uh, no doubt they will best be best in class everything they've done, you know, the, the, the broadcast proposition they deliver with Thursday Night Football is as good as you possibly could have done given the circumstances and the scale. The Premier League launch was as good as we've seen in the industry in terms of a streaming product going to market. So I'd say the tides are turning in my, my own take on their position. And if they can get that e-commerce layer really working for them, then all of a sudden the, the Prime Video live sports integration is a pretty damn successful one uh, if these things work out for them. So I'm not getting too crystal ball with that because they have announced them and the reports are there. And that's why I, I would move them up my rankings now, given they are actually, uh, uh, I guess, addressing these these areas, which I thought were a weakness up until now. So we'll make it very clear when we post these images that uh, these rankings have already changed. You're just going to wait 11 months until the uh, the imagery changes. We'll make that very clear so that way the people at Amazon don't get too upset with us. But the, the last two that we have on our list, Nick, that are mutually in our mixed emotions list are DAZN and Fubo TV. Uh, I think these two have a lot of similarities. And, you know, I think from the love perspective is that the idea is what I want as a sports fan, which is I want to go to a single platform. I don't want to pay for all the other channels. I just want to pay for the sports. And I think what they they talked about delivering and all those things, I love. I love the idea of it. But you know, we we've just we've seen some struggles with with that. And I think one of the interesting things as well with this list of all the properties we listed, they're also the only two that provide zero when it comes to non sports content. And, you know, I'm sure you'll have all of your reasons why you're there in your mixed emotions list, but it would be interesting just to have that conversation around is even the possibility of having a exclusively sports platform going to be viable when you look at what some of these other organizations are doing? Yeah, I definitely am with you there about 
I like I love what they're trying to do and what they're wanting to be. Um, DAZN as a, as a platform uh, has been around for quite a while now. Um, you said DAZN, right? <laughs> Good. I'm just double checking there because your face looked like I may have been saying the wrong wrong thing. Uh, <laughs> but with DAZN, I've loved what they've tried to build. They have pivoted their business quite a lot. I think they've made some smart moves in shifting their focus. What is disappointing in that instance? It's it's the right move from their perspective, and this is why I've looked how I've looked at, looked at it from their lens. What's disappointing is more holistically in the industry to see that this dream of them coming in and disrupting the industry in a new way of working, that window I think is largely gone. Um, and instead, just can they build a really strong business in the this OTT streaming world we live in that has got a huge array of, of sports rights and be a, a platform and destination for sports fans? The layers of broadcast, of the betting that they're looking to bring into the platform, the, the the layers of of storytelling and the the non live and news stories they're going to bring they're bringing into the platform all add to that mix of being a, a a really important tool for fans. But they last time we saw those those financial numbers they had a huge mountain to climb to become profitable. But the noise or the the, the stories coming out of the zone is within, within the next two years they plan to be profitable. Um, so you know, and they they're saying that from from top down. So. If they're saying that from top down, then I think they have to believe that they've got a chance to do that. And if they have, then um, you know the next financial numbers come out that we see them, and they're looking much, much more healthier than previously. Then we we would probably I would maybe adjust how I see their business and their performance uh, to date. So um, jury is oh well, jury's out. Mixed emotions a little bit about that because of the fact that we haven't they haven't been the home run that we wanted them to to be. So I think the the moves they've made lately are very smart to get their business in a more stable situation. With the zone, do you? It's an interesting one because I feel like perhaps maybe different to some of the other platforms we've talked about. They they have a global goal. You know that they're talking. You know, if you think about all the markets they're across, they're arguably is widespread as any of the organizations or possibly the most widespread when you think that they go all the way from Japan all the way across to the US all over Europe you know it's not like they they've got small ambitions but it's more that individual markets have probably have had more success than other markets you know it, is it perhaps maybe the goal was too big is do they need to, to scale it down because like I said some markets it feels like there's different stories, whereas in the US or even in the UK, it's been tough to crack. But you look at different markets like Spain, Germany, it seems like they've had more momentum where they've been able to get premium rights for those local markets. Yeah, it does feel uh, like the, the the whole concept or notion of, of going global is just a massive, massive mountain to climb. Um, and the, the market by market approach they've done to try and achieve that um, I think has had a lot of really good and successful moves in it. The problem is they've had a couple of blips, which perhaps haven't worked to plan. And in sports, live live rights are really expensive. And if they don't work for you, and add to that, you're only renting those rights; you don't own them. There's, if you make a couple two couple couple of bad moves, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. And you add into that the window that COVID hit was a critical time period for them where they were really gearing up. They just secured a, a bunch of different premium rights. Um, they were they, they were getting some head, um, getting some tailwind, I think, in terms of their approach. And that just really threw a spanner in the works. They couldn't really, in my view, afford to have 
all their cash flow and subscribers having to you know jump away from the business and platform because they had nothing to serve them at that time. So I think they've had to pivot for a number of reasons and adjust their strategy. Some of them not caused by themselves. You know, almost I think all of the initial founders, James Ruston, uh, John Glesia, Simon Denyer, who originally founded DAZN. Um, I think they're all out of the business now, uh, although I think maybe they're acting as advisors. They're not in the day-to-day operations anymore. So it is really a new era for DAZN. And I think their end goal will be that they'll be wanting to be acquired or bought up by someone in the future, whether it's an Apple or a Netflix or just an investor. Um, so they ha- they are they're heading in the right direction, um, but they this these next sort of twelve months I think going to be really critical to see if they they've really turned the tide and heading in the right and, and that right trajectory. And would you say that's fairly similar, although different contexts with the situation for Fubo, just given the the runway that's left and sort of the the time frame with which they have to sort of turn things around. Yeah, with Fubo. I mean, Fubo isn't just sports. They have their virtual MVPD uh, platforms. They have a lot of entertainment. Come for the sports, stay for the entertainment, as we've used a few times. They have other things on the platform. But the problem is all their sports content, their premium sports content, typically the the carriage deals. I've just done a deal with, I think it's getting all the Bally Sports Network uh, um, channels on those platforms, which is a big move for them. They will be charging every they're basically acting like a traditional cable provider they're going to be charging every single consumer irrespective of whether you are uh interested in the in the belly sports content they will be charging anyone in those areas where it's available an extra 15 dollars a month to access their platform um so that's a curious model but it's actually leaning off the old cable cable one um my problem with 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 what they've done is they've made a few errors along the way as well. You talk about the betting play that took up a lot of time and effort as well as money um, to get themselves uh, to work out that that wasn't a viable option to build their own uh, proprietary platform. And they've got they've got limited funds that they're going to have to again become profitable. Their, their goal is to become I think it's at least cash flow positive by twenty twenty five or so forth. But in my estimations, they're not going to have enough money to get to that point. So that means they're going to have to make a pretty big financial move, which could be selling more shares. It could be getting an investor. Yeah, they've got a, they've got a bit of work to do to make sure that they're set up for long-term success. They're set up for someone to acquire them. But the problem is if they were to be acquired, I don't think they would get the returns given the, the drop in media value that we've seen across the stock market as well being a listed business. So they've got a tough road ahead. They've got a really tough road ahead, Fubo. I would love that business to work. I would love the zones to both of those types of businesses to be really successful ones that sort of lead the way because there's a lot to like about their strategy and approach. But a couple of bad moves and all of a sudden you're really, you have your backs against the wall unless you've got endless sums of money to just, oh, well, we'll just move on to the next thing now and make sure that works for us instead, which these businesses haven't quite had to do in the same way that some of these big huge behemoths have yeah well that is our power rankings for this year nick when it comes to the platforms and the networks you know i'm sure there'll be opinions on this myself yourself we're always happy for anyone whether it's twitter linkedin or if you just want to email us whatever it is um certainly let us know what you think of the list uh we will be following the news stories over the next 11 months or so until we get to the OTT summit of Madrid for 2023, where we'll be doing this all again. And, you know, not only will we get to do this exercise again, we'll get to review sort of where we were right, where we were wrong, how things have changed. And it'll be a fun thing to do. And, you know, 
that's got that'll that'll be close to almost episode 100 when I start doing the math. It might actually be a little bit past that, Nick. But you know, we're starting to put up the, those numbers there, and when we can start having annually reoccurring segments, that feels like a big thing. Gosh, episode 100. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I think we're what <laughs> 65 or so in. Am I? Yeah. Is that number right? Roughly. It's fun to do these types of things. It really does give you a chance to to think and reflect on you know what what the approaches of some of these businesses and they are really fascinating because they're so diverse so thanks for for listening in and do do let us know what you think if you want to reach out uh, it's been great to get some feedback from from our audience over the last uh you know the last year or so and uh, keep it coming absolutely and you know this is just the first episode we're recording in 2023 i just said 2023 which is just 2023 but you know <laughs> a bit of a tongue twister we've already got a number of great episodes coming up for the year we've if you have, weren't aware with the sports for ott awards uh, we inducted our first four uh, members into our hall of fame we've got upcoming podcasts with them some of the most influential people that have been in the broadcast industry for the last up to 40 plus years for some of them uh including some other guests coming up so it's going to be a really great year for the stream time podcast in 2023 and look forward to having you join us throughout the year thanks very much everyone before you go myself and nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of stream time if you found the episode insightful please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to as a growing podcast we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the Sports Pro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast. <laughs>